Amen. Worship team, thank you. You may take your seats in the room. Whether you're tuning in at home or you're with us uh, in person today, a really warm welcome to you from me. Over the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Kingdom Bringers, all about carrying God's kingdom in a culture of compromise. And to help us understand how we can do that, we've been looking at the book of Daniel uh, in the Bible, which takes a special focus on Daniel and his friends, along with some other Israelites who were carried captive from Jerusalem uh, 600 miles into Babylon. Babylon was a powerful city, part of the Babylonian Empire, the greatest empire of that time. In terms of how the people of Babylon lived, it was totally countercultural to the way Daniel and those exiled from Jerusalem would have lived. Uh, and though we may perceive these as ancient stories, what's happening or what happened over 2,600 years ago is relevant to us today. Because just like them, for us as Christians, we're trying to live for God and bring his kingdom, his ways in a culture and society that is full of compromise. In fact, it's so contradictory to our God. And so as we've journeyed through the series, uh, we've learned about some of the challenges that Daniel and his friends face that we also might face. In week one, Martin shared with us about being in the world, but not of the world. The reality that for us uh, as believers, we carry this tension between the kingdom that we belong to, and the, which is God's kingdom, and the world that we currently live in. And with that, there's a call to live differently so we can be effective kingdom bringers for God. In week two, Esther spoke about identity theft. You see, like Daniel and his friends who were renamed, they were given new names, new customs, and new gods. The culture around us will try to redefine us and reshape our values. But we must remember that we belong to God and that our identity is firmly rooted in him. In week three, Luke posed the question of who will you worship? The idea that worship is not just the thing that we do on Sunday when we're here together uh, or the songs that we sing. It's how we live our day-to-day -day lives, what we adore, what we put our effort and our resources towards. Only God alone is worthy of that worship. And then last week, Jonathan brought us another challenging word on pride. This idea that whoever you make the king of your life is the kingdom which you will build and serve. And when we choose to put ourselves on top and live for ourselves as the culture promotes us to, it will result in chaos. But if we're going to be kingdom bringers, then we must choose the path of humility with Jesus as our example. So lots that we've heard so far, so many challenging things uh, to go away and already be at work with. But as we continue this week, the title for my message is, Who Cares How I Live? You know, we live in a culture that says, who cares how you live? Do what you've got to do, do what you want to do, do what you feel, do what feels good, do whatever you want to do. Who cares? It's your life. But if you were to consider this question personally for yourself, who would you say actually cares about how you live? Maybe for some of us, uh, especially the young people in the room, you'll say, I know my parents care how I live because they're always telling me to put my phone away, to focus on my revision, or they praise me when I make certain choices. 
Or maybe you know that your workplace cares about how you live because in some ways you represent the company uh, or the organization. You've probably heard those stories of people who've applied to jobs and then the company does like a Google search on them and they find something like a Facebook post with some controversial things. Maybe something controversial like Nigerian jollof is better than Ghanaian jollof. Yikes. If you didn't know, there's a war on the rice uh, in the West Africa's. <laughs> Maybe your response is, I care about how I live. Maybe you care about how you live because you're conscious that there are children in your home who don't just listen to what you say, but they do as you do. And so you want to model something positive to them. You know, often we're driven in certain ways of living because we've made someone's opinion about how we live matter to us. And in some ways that can be helpful, but in other ways it can be very problematic. It can lead us to live very busy lives where we're constantly striving to do more, striving to accomplish more, trying to be more, because the culture measures our worth by our accomplishments. It can lead us to live mass lives where we're one way in the public space and then we're another way in the private space because we're after protecting our reputation. It can lead us to live insecure lives, striving for the approval of others. You know, on the other side, because we live in a world where there are so many challenges to well-being, so much depression and anxiety and loneliness and so many other things, Perhaps the prevailing voice in our culture, and maybe even for some in this room, is that nobody cares how I live. In fact, nobody cares about me. Perhaps someone walked in here today, or you're tuning in from home, and you felt for a while that nobody cares. Maybe you found yourself in this, this place of despair and loneliness, where you've had really dark questions like, would it matter if I was no longer on this earth? Firstly, let me reassure you today that you matter. Your life matters. And your life matters not just to other people. Your life ultimately matters to God. There is a God who had you in mind before you were even in your mother's womb who says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by this God who makes no mistakes. He cares about you. And today, his invitation is for you to come to him. And for all of us, whether we know it or not, God cares about us. He cares about us because he created us in his image and in his likeness. And therefore, we are immensely valuable to him. He loves us. And you know, when you love someone, it doesn't just matter to you that they are alive. It matters to you how they're living. To the God who gave you your life, it matters to him how you're living. God cares about your whole life, the day-to-day, -day, the big choices and the small choices, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions, every aspect of you as a person. And God is aware of all that happens in your life because he is the all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present God. Psalm 139 reminds us that there is nowhere that we can go from God's presence and that nothing is hidden from him. And for some of us, that's a sobering thing to hear because maybe for a while we've been living as if God doesn't see and know all. And maybe you say in your heart, there's just some things in my life that I would rather nobody ever saw. 
often the way the culture wants us to live and think is that there is no God, at least not one who cares about the details of our lives. But in a world where uh, abuses and injustices often go unseen and unresolved, we need to be aware that there is a God who sees it all. In a world where there is so much noise and so much confusion, we need to be aware that there is a God who knows it all. In a world where there is so much loneliness and isolation, we need to be aware that there is a God who is an ever-present help and he cares. And so as we come uh, to today's passage in Daniel 5, uh, we're going to see God using Daniel to hold a king to account. And how God, seeing all in our lives, should impact the way we choose to live as well. So just to set some context, uh, between Daniel 4, which we looked at last week, and Daniel 5, which we are in this week, around 25 to 30 years have passed. Uh, and Daniel has lived to see the passing of the throne from one person to another. So King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and now Belshazzar is king of Babylon. So in Daniel 5, uh, we have King Belshazzar who decides to throw this big party. He invites over 1,000 of his nobles, basically his A-list people, along with his wives and his concubines. Really, this party wasn't for everyone else. This party was for him. It was an opportunity for him to say, look at me, look at how great I am, look at all the wealth that I have. Aren't I great? And as this party is going on, he asks for the gold and silver cups that were taken uh, from the temple in Jerusalem. These items that would have been uh, part set aside for worship to God, but instead they use them to drink wine as they worship their idols. And as they're partying, uh, something strange begins to happen. And so we pick up in Daniel uh, chapter 5, verses 5 to 6, which is going to be up on the screen. And then we'll skip to verse 13 onwards, which says, And suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. These the king wanted to put, those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death, and those he wanted to spare, he spared, and those he wanted to promote, he promoted, and those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory. 
He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Until he acknowledged the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines, and you drank wine from them. You praise the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his, life, your, in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he has sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is what the inscription said. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here is what those words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Wow. What a striking and intense account we've got going on there. Firstly, can you imagine that this might be you, that you're going about your day-to-day -day life, maybe you're doing the washing or you're with your friends and suddenly a hand appears and writes on the wall. Like how scary would that be? Where I'm from um, in Colville, uh, we have a bit of slang like we would in Coventry and what we would say is I would peg it meaning I would make a run for it. Unfortunately, uh, for the king, he wasn't pegging it anywhere because he was so pale and frightened, his legs became weak. He was paralyzed by fear. You know, if you're familiar with the, the phrase, the writings on the wall, then you know it means something along the lines of impending doom or difficulty is coming. It's like a warning sign that something unfortunate is about to happen. And that saying actually originates from this passage. I'm sure you doesn't, this probably doesn't apply to any of you guys, but I don't know if you've ever watched one of those movies where there are some teenagers and they're having a party in this random house and some crazy things are going on. And then they hear the police sirens. And suddenly everybody sobers up and begins to peg it to the exit. You know, if you've not done anything wrong, you don't need to be panicked by a police siren. But if you know that you're in the wrong, then you know you're about to be held accountable. And this was that kind of moment for Belshazzar. Like it was all fun and games until the sirens sounded, until the writings were on the wall. Someone came to hold him accountable and it was God. Although he may not have been able to understand the whole situation, he knew that the party was over because something in his heart and something in his conscience was gripped. You know, during the series that uh, we've been going through, uh, we've learned about the meaning of Daniel's name, which is God is my judge. And the role of a judge is to look at situations that are before them and to call a verdict, to make a decision of the outcome. And here, 
God had seen all, that ba- all of Belshazzar's life and had come to call a verdict. For Belshazzar, it was too late. Daniel called him and said, you knew what happened to your father. You knew what happens when you live in pride and arrogance. As if there is no God, yet you didn't humble yourself. You didn't honor God. You knew better, but you didn't do better. Therefore, God has come to humble you. He's brought your reign and your empire to an end. And for all of us, there's a strong message to receive from Belshazzar's life. Something of a warning that though it was too late for him, it's not too late for us. It's not very often uh, that we take time to consider that we will one day be held accountable by God for how we have lived. Yet Romans uh, 14, 10 to 12 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of you will give an account of himself to God. You know, we're not standing before God yet. There's still time. But one day we will. And in many ways, the signs continue to be there for us. Maybe you've seen it, like for Belshazzar, when you see in other people's life what happens when they make wrong decisions, what happens when they choose to veer off. Maybe you've seen it in your family and your friends. That's a warning sign. Or maybe you've had that conviction in your own heart that the way you're living is wrong or is not quite right. And God is asking you to turn away from that and to come to him for help. But you ignore it. Let me take a moment to reassure you and to reassure us as believers of Jesus today that if you are in Christ, then your eternity is secure in him. Jesus took the punishment for our sins so that we can be reunited with God forever. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to rescue us from a condemning verdict. And yet for all of us, we will still one day stand before God and he will ask us, what did we do with the lives that he gave us? What did you do with the life that God gave you? Paul put it in this way uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 to 15. By the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation as a, wise, as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved." even though as only one escaping through flames. Here, Paul is saying that Christ is the foundation. You will be saved. You will be secure in Christ. But how you build matters because it will be tested. 
And the problem with Belshazzar was that even his foundation was faulty because his foundation was in himself and not in God. You know, if you're uh, a student here and you're waiting for your exams uh, and the results, I'm sure you'll be relieved to realize that you've got to the next stage by getting the results that you needed. But how much better does it feel to find out that you did way better than you thought? Or if you're someone who loves to be punctual, I'm sure you'd rather be cool, calm and collected, arriving where it is that you need to be, rather than sweaty and rushed and stumbling in. How much more when it comes to our eternal reality? Wouldn't we love to stand before God one day, knowing we have done our best to be faithful and diligent with what he's given us? And just like great exam, exam results or arriving on time, it won't just happen. It will take some resolve, as we've learned in previous week. It will take resisting distractions and demands and getting our priorities straight. It will take a renewal of the mind, reminding us that we don't just live for ourselves. And above all, it will take the help of God. See, God hasn't left us to figure this out on our own. Philippians 2.13 says, It's God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purposes. See, God is on your side. God is on your side. So as we come back to the main passage, there's just a couple of things that I would love to draw out to help us understand how we can be kingdom bringers. Firstly, kingdom bringers acknowledge God. According to the Oxford Dictionary, uh, to acknowledge means the acceptance of truth or existence of something. See, God used Daniel to call out Belshazzar for being so caught up in himself that he couldn't see anything beyond himself. Because that's what pride and arrogance does. It will have you thinking that it all starts and ends with you. But when we acknowledge God, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves that not only does God exist, but the fact that I know he exists changes everything for me. Hebrews 11.6 puts it like this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, unlike the culture around us, We need to be those that believe that God exists and to seek him as our response because there's so much life to be found in seeking him. And from the text, uh, we can see a couple of ways to acknowledge God. Firstly, acknowledge God as most high. We see in verse 22 that Daniel pointed out that Nebuchadnezzar became mad until he acknowledged the most high God is sovereign over all. But Belshazzar did not humble himself, though he knew all this. And last week, Jonathan uh, unpacked so well what it looks like for us to choose humility instead of pride. So I would highly recommend that uh, you go back and listen to that. But ultimately, if we're going to be kingdom bringers who acknowledge God as most high, then it will require us to walk in humility. Secondly, you can acknowledge God as provider. From verse 18, Daniel begins to point out that everything that Nebuchadnezzar got, all his success came from God. God gave it to him just like he gave it to Belshazzar. 
And when we choose to acknowledge God as provider, what we're saying is, God, it all comes from you and it all belongs to you. I'm not the owner, I'm the steward. My money, my children, my career, they belong to you. And that means that we remember to thank God. We remember to seek his will in how we live and how we manage the things that he's given us. And we hold things loosely because we know that our security doesn't ultimately come in what God gives us. It comes in him. Which is why even for Daniel, he was, he was able to say no to the promotions from Belshazzar because it was a declaration that it's not what people have to offer me that moves me. It's the purpose of God in my life and the assurance that he will provide. Thirdly, you can acknowledge God as judge. For Belshazzar, because he didn't consider God as judge, even the sacred items were misused for his own pleasure. But those that know that they will be held accountable for their choices, think more carefully about their choices. Can I invite the band to come up? Secondly, we learn from this passage that kingdom bringers grow in wisdom and understanding. You see, time and time again, Daniel is recognized by others as having insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom, especially by those who don't even believe in God, in his God. His wisdom and his understanding set him apart from the wisdom of the world. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The idea of the fear of the Lord here is about having that right view of God that doesn't mean you run away from God scared, but that you move towards him with reverence. You approach him correctly. You realize how great and wonderful he is, and so you seek to approach him honorably. From Proverbs, we learn that wisdom isn't necessarily about what you know, but it's about who you know. The Bible even calls Christ, Jesus, the wisdom of God. You see, people who are seeking to grow in wisdom are seeking to know God through relationship with Him. And as we learn more about God through relationship, wisdom also means we walk in obedience to Him. Like Daniel, we choose the ways of God even when the world is drawing us to compromise. See, wisdom is knowing better and doing better. Finally, as I come to a close today, kingdom bringers are led by the Spirit of God. Though Belshazzar didn't quite get it right, he knew that there was something different, a different spirit in Daniel, which we understand to be the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God in Daniel set him apart to do what others couldn't. Church, we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks so much of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit of God in you and I will testify that we are children of God and therefore we are loved and secure in Christ. The Spirit of God will enable you, like it did Daniel, to walk in boldness and courage when the culture around you is fearful and terrified. The Spirit of God in you will lead you to know that God will lead you to know God so that you can grow in wisdom and understanding. And the Spirit of God in you will enable you to not only 
resist the fleshly desires in you and to not compromise, but instead to live for God. And our role uh, as those who are filled with the Spirit of God is to follow the leading of the Spirit. I understand that I've shared quite a lot today and uh, it's probably felt quite weighty uh, what we've had. It's, it's such a challenge, probably not just to you, but it's such a challenge to me personally because I know that in my own life, I'm drawn to comfort, I'm drawn to compromise, I'm drawn to ease, I'm drawn to live for myself in ways that I'd rather not admit. And maybe you feel it the same way that you want to live for God, but there is something that draws you a different way. And today we have an opportunity to respond. We have an opportunity uh, to stand before our God and to acknowledge him and to say, you are the most high God. That I'm going to put you as my priority again today. I'm going to seek you first. In a culture full of so much compromise, I want to live for you and I want to live a life that matters for you because I know that one day I will stand before you. I'm just going to invite us uh, before I pray to respond however it is that we feel we need to respond. Maybe for some of us, we want to, to bow down again like we did last week and to say, once again, Lord, I'm choosing this posture of humility before you. I'm choosing to put you first in my life. I'm choosing to seek you first in my life. Maybe for some of us, it's about asking the Lord for wisdom and for understanding that, Lord, I want to walk in relationship with you. I want to know you deeper. And maybe for some of us, it's about just asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you and to enable you to do what it is that God has called you to do. This is our opportunity to respond, church. However you need to respond, take this moment to do so, to ask of the Lord what it is that you need and to fix your eyes on him again. Jesus. Jesus, we, we humble ourselves before you today. Lord, we look to you as our help, the one who will help us to will and to do your good pleasure. Lord, we say sorry for when we've gone our own way. We say sorry when we've put ourselves first. We, we say sorry, oh God, when we've forgotten to acknowledge you, to give thanks to you for all that we have. And today again, we declare that you are a provider, that you are Jehovah Jireh, that it all comes from you and it all belongs to you. And Lord, we say we belong to you. We want to walk with this God who loves us and cares for us. Lord, we want our lives to matter uh, in a meaningful and deep way to you, O oh God, that when we would stand before you one day, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to lay aside the distractions and the demands Help us to lay aside our own priorities and to seek you first. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.